now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here at the Momentum Studios, all by my lonesome. Spencer Shea is not here, neither is D-Boy. It's just me, and that's okay. Um, but before I get into the content of the day, let's start off with some announcements. Go ahead and subscribe to the Street Roots podcast. We are officially up and rolling. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we had Senator Senator Ron Wyden join us to talk about a plethora of things, ranging from Judge Katanji Brown Jackson becoming uh, soon to become the Supreme Court Justice. Uh, mental health and some of the things he's working on on a mental health front, Portland Street response, and its alignment with that of the Cahoots bill. Obviously, Portland Street response is having a lot of success and a lot of momentum right now, and I'll actually talk about a little bit of that later on here in the episode. The Portland Trailblazers, he's a huge Portland Trailblazers fan. He's a huge sports fan. So every time I have a conversation with Senator White, and I make sure that we bring up the Portland Trailblazers wherever their stance is in regards to just where things are standing with them. But uh, yeah, make sure you go subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check it out on streetroots.org and just go to the podcast section there. But that's the only announcement that I have for today, and I'm glad about it because boy, oh boy, are we getting ready to get into these Brooklyn Nets. Now, I see Kyrie Irving trying to dissuade black media on Twitter from talking about him and his brothers and sisters. He's out here calling folks puppets and what have you. But I'll tell y'all right now, that ain't going to stop this black media platform from talking about him, from talking about the Nets. And if you haven't seen his tweets today, I nah, go see it if you'd like. <laughs> like, I don't think he said anything that um, inspiring, but... He sets how he felt, if you will. So you can read it, and it might give you some better context context for today's podcast. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen him, go check it out. And I'll at least give Kyrie the benefit of the doubt on this. I won't start about talking about Kyrie Irving in regards to the Brooklyn Nets and how trash they were in this series. But I will get to Kyrie Irving and we'll get to some of you supporters too of Kyrie Irving who uh sure did start rooting for him when he decided not to take that vaccine, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. I'm starting with Ben Simmons though. Ben Simmons. Now, you have to look no further than last week's episode because I came on this podcast and I titled the episode More Concerned Than Excited. And I'm coming back on this podcast this week to double down on the fact that I was more concerned than excited about Ben Simmons' expected return to game four that he ultimately backed out of. And there was no way that based on the last time I saw Ben Simmons play basketball and the way that he broke down in that particular moment that he should have ever made his return against, for one, the Boston Celtics and how tough of a team that was, my goodness, but to put it in a macro perspective, in the playoffs. There was no way Ben Simmons should have made his return in the playoffs based on the last time we actually saw Ben Simmons play. Now, According to Sham Sharani over at The Athletic, there was a meeting that consisted of Ben Simmons, his agent Rich Paul, and Nets officials after Ben decided he was going to opt out of Game 4. Ben told the Nets that he had a mental block 
that dated back to last summer's postseason, and that could serve as a trigger for his back issues, which is the reason why he was not ready and available to play. I want y'all to ponder with that one for a second. Because I've been pondering with it. And to me, that made absolutely zero sense. (laughs) Like, what are we talking about? You have mental issues. Now, that makes sense. And again, I've never been the one that wanted to dig in where Ben Simmons stood when it came to his mental health or not. Because the way people's mental health, the, the status of it can change by the second. It could change by the day. It could change by the moment. It could change by the minute. So I always knew that that was murky territory to attempt to try and gauge where Ben Simmons was at based on Ben Simmons' mental health. What I've always used as a starting point to gauge where Ben Simmons is at as far as his mental health or just him being able to go out and compete in the NBA once again has always been based on the last time I saw Ben Simmons play basketball. And in that particular moment in time, he absolutely broke down. He choked. He folded. Whatever words you want to use to describe what he did last year in the postseason, he did just that. So it came as no surprise to me in this Shams report that he had to mention last season's postseason as a point of reference for some of the issues that he's still dealing with today and why he was not able to compete in this year's playoffs. Because that's the only point of reference that we really had to work off of. Again, that wasn't necessarily a murky one or it didn't get us in dangerous territory because we all saw the breakdown last year. Every last one of us saw the breakdown. I saw it. You saw it. Clearly, he saw it. And clearly, he's still feeling the effects of it. And some of you may recall. Well, you may not recall if you're not a Patreon listener of this podcast. But I did an entire Patreon episode. And the episode was titled To Play or Not To Play. And I was talking about Ben Simmons. And what I mentioned was based on the latest action I've seen from Ben Simmons in the NBA, not from what I think his latest mental health status is, but based on the latest action that I've seen from Ben Simmons in the NBA, if he didn't play in that game on March 10th, for those of you that don't know what game that was on March 10th, that was the game that the Brooklyn Nets faced off against the Philadelphia 76ers for the first time since the blockbuster trade happened. And I said, if he didn't play in that game, I basically was hopeless for what he could be in regards to being able to help the Brooklyn Nets get to a championship or a deep run in the playoffs this season. And the reason why I felt that way was because, again, based on his last action, we saw in the postseason, which is the most pressurized part of the year, and based on the breakdown that he had in that moment, there was definitely a chance that this season the Brooklyn Nets and the, and the Philadelphia 76ers could have played each other in the first round, second round, third round, any round of this season playoff, but even in more so in particular the first round because there was a point in time where Philadelphia was the two seed. I think there might have even been a time where the Philadelphia was the one seed, but there was a tight race in the Eastern Conference, as we all know, heading into this season's playoffs. So there was a very real chance that the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets could have even been a first-round matchup this season. And if Ben Simmons couldn't have handled 
playing in Philadelphia during a regular season matchup, which was on March 10th. Why in the hell would we expect him to be able to play in a playoff matchup based on the action that we last seen from him, which was in the playoffs last summer, which is the point of reference he's uh, he's pointing to in this meeting that he had with the Brooklyn Nets organization and Rich Paul. It just made no sense to me. So I know other folks started kind of holding on to hope and feeling like maybe he'll return. And then I know there was some that felt like once the announcement came out that he would return in game four, there was some skepticism on why didn't he return in game three? But even I think that was too late to be skeptical about Ben Simmons or to even hope or wish that Ben Simmons would play in the postseason at all. He did not want to deal with the gauntlet that was the Boston Celtics. Neither did Katie or Kyrie. And again, we'll get to them shortly. But why as fans, as, as folks that talk about mental health and wanting to see the improvement of athletes' mental health, why would we want to see, for nothing more than a soap opera, Ben Simmons return to basketball, be in the postseason where we last saw him absolutely crack? Mentally, physically, Whatever you want to call it, the last time we seen him in the postseason and the last time we seen him in the NBA, he absolutely cracked. Why would we want to see him return in the postseason? That's a disaster waiting to happen. Let's let him start off next season. Let him go through the preseason. Let him play some regular season games. But for us to bank our hopes on Ben Simmons returning to playing basketball in the postseason after the breakdown he had the last time we saw him play, that was unfair to him. <laughs> and I'm I'm not a fan of Ben Simmons, so I'm kind of shocked that I'm even here defending him, but this is the only way that I would defend him because I knew and understood if he couldn't play in that March 10th game, there was no way he'd be able to handle a playoff atmosphere, whether that would have been against Philadelphia or obviously in this case, it ended up being against the Boston Celtics. It was just unfair. So for me, again, the reason why I titled last week more concerned than excited, because I was legitimately concerned that reports were even coming out that Ben Simmons will be playing basketball in game four. That would have put him in the worst possible situation he could have absolutely been in. And I don't want to see that for the guy. I'm nice enough to where I don't want to see that for the guy. Again, I understand it would have created a great soap opera for us. It would have been great to look forward to. It would have been great to see based on all the drama that surrounded his name this year. And obviously the Brooklyn Nets, if you want to take it a step further, a whole lot of drama surrounded them this year as well. But there's absolutely no way that folks shouldn't have been concerned that any reports came out about Ben Simmons returning this postseason or in this case returning in game four because the last time we saw him during these pressurized times being the postseason – he absolutely cracked. I don't care to see him crack again. I saw it once, and that was enough for me. Now, moving right along to the next star, Kevin Durant. Got to talk KD now, folks. And for starters, I've been telling y'all, since July 20th of 2021, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the world. And a whole lot of y'all tried to rebuttal by telling me the best player in the world was KD. Now, I get it. KD is a two-time champion, 
two-time finals MVP, however many scoring champions he is. He's a unique specimen in regards to the skill set that goes along with the size, him being a seven-footer and being able to be as mobile and as agile and have guard-like skills the way that he has. He's a once-in-a-generation type of a player. But KD has never shown the ability to lead anything. And I'll tell you, one thing I've also talked about this year, it felt like it's a whole lot that I've talked about that's coming to fruition all of a sudden in these playoffs. But another thing I talked about, and you listeners will remember, there was months ago when the whole NBA 75 conversations were happening, and we were obviously around the All-Star time and even prior to that, and I talked about how this season was going to be a huge legacy year for the biggest stars of the NBA, i.e. LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, guys of that magnitude, even Giannis Antetokounmpo, because this year essentially feels like a prove year for Giannis, even though to me, like I said, he proved to July 20th, 2021, that this is his league, essentially, and that he is the best player in this league, but... I know we want to see him do it again. So for a lot of y'all, it's a prove a year. And plus, all of y'all are so hell-bent on Kevin Durant only being an inch away from eliminating Giannis last year in that on that shot that he hit late in the game, three-point shot to send it to OT that counted as a two rather than a three-pointer. So everybody is trying to, you know, nitpick. Is it KD? Is it Giannis? Is it KD? Is it Giannis? So this year, to me, is still a very significant year for Giannis's legacy. But in terms of KD's legacy, I remember the ESPN rankings came out for the 75 players on the list. KD was ahead of Steph Curry. I remember the athletics list came out in regards to this year's ESPN 75 in terms of ranking each player. KD was ahead of Steph Curry. And I'm going to tell y'all right now, after him being swept by the Boston Celtics, you ought to be out your mind if you think that KD is ahead of Steph Curry on any list as of today. Because Steph Curry is moving on to the second round, by the way. He just eliminated the Denver Nuggets last night. But both of them obviously still have years left on their career. But today, after watching KD get swept, after watching him fold against the Boston Celtics, and as Steph Curry is still out here moving on to the next round with a chance to still win a championship, even if Steph doesn't win the title this year, he is ahead of Kevin Durant in any all-time list for me. He's ahead of him. He's ahead of him. KD lost that in this. So, again, this year, I think 25 years down the line when it's NBA 100 instead of NBA 75, this year is going to have implications on how we talk about the stars of today 25 years from now because it was such a pivotal year for such big, massive stars in the league. As I mentioned, LeBron, obviously, they they did whatever they did out there in L.A. It wasn't good, though, I'll tell you that much. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis, guys of that magnitude. Even look at guys like James Harden and how much his legacy is riding on this season. This is a huge legacy year. It just so happened that it was in the 75th year of the NBA season. But I tell you this, if this year was year 74 and the results that we have to work with right now, we had to – we had these results to use for NBA 75 next year, Steph Curry would be ahead of Kevin Durant on that list for me. Because there's no way we're going to give Kevin Durant an excuse for being swept by that of the Boston Celtics. But I do want to give the Boston Celtics credit, though. 
Shout out to Ime Udoka, Portland State alum. Obviously, y'all know I'm an analyst over at Portland State University. Got to give Ime a huge shout out. He got those boys looking right over there in Boston. Got them looking absolutely right. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Go down the list, you name it. That team looks good. Although I still have the Milwaukee Bucks beating them in the second round. I do. And obviously, I'm a little bit less confident in that statement now that we pretty much know Chris Middleton probably won't be playing in that series. Shams also made a report about that earlier today. But I'm still rolling with the Bucks, man, because a lot of what Boston did to the Nets was they exposed the Nets' physicality or lack thereof in this case. The Nets just aren't a physical team. Obviously, even KD, he's a seven-footer, but he's paper thin. So he's kind of the best you got up front from a physicality standpoint, especially when Steve Nash is deciding not to play Andre Drummond and Ben Simmons, which he should just be out of a job at this point. He did a terrible job coaching in this series, too. Oh, I got smoke for the Nets. The whole organization, I got smoke for them. I'm not going to lie to you. But even still, the physicality of the Boston Celtics proved to be far too much for that of the Brooklyn Nets. Even without Chris Middleton, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there will be a lot more resistance coming from the Milwaukee Bucks because, for one, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo, who to me is the most gifted physical specimen there is in the NBA. So you got to deal with that night in and night out. That's a load in itself. But then you tack on the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks have three guys 6'10 or larger in their starting lineup alone. <laughs> like, you ain't just moving that around. You're not just punking that the way you were able to punk the Brooklyn Nets, essentially. And then you even think about a guy like Marcus Smart. The Bucks have Drew Holiday. To me, Drew Holiday can match every bit of intensity that Marcus Smart's bring that Marcus Smart brings to the table for the Brook uh, for the Boston Celtics. Excuse me. Congratulations on him being a Defensive Player of the Year. I get all that. I still think Drew is just as good of a defender at that position as Marcus Smart is, and I think Drew gives you a little bit more offensively than Marcus Smart does. So Marcus Smart is gonna play against a guy who actually has somewhat of an advantage on him, but also plays his same game. Because that's where I think Marcus Smart holds a lot of value is the uniqueness of his game, obviously just being a tough, hard-nosed, gritty, lockdown to def lockdown defender who can also score it a bit for you on the offensive side of the ball. You like that when you're a team like the Boston Celtics. You're like that if you're any program or organization in the NBA. But Drew Holiday does that with a little bit more like star power to it. Like Marcus Mark might give you 15 a game, but Drew can go out there and give you 20 a game, and they both can still lock in on the other side of the ball. I just ultimately think that Boston – is going to play, it's going to meet its match essentially from a physicality standpoint. And I'm interested to see how Boston is going to be the be able to handle the resistance that they've been dishing out, obviously, in the latter part of the season, most certainly in the first round of the playoffs against the Brooklyn Nets, because they've been dishing it out for sure. But they're going to meet their match with Giannis. Like I said, just three 6'10 starters in your lineup is just a bit much. So even without Middleton, I'm not as confident. Obviously, if he was there, I'd really be on the Bucks train because that's another 
big guard <laughs> to add to the physicality of the of the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, he gives them more ammunition, more firepower as well. So I think if he's there, the Bucks are a lock to win this series. I think without him, we got a really good series. The Bucks are going to have to probably win it in six or seven, but I still got the Bucks taking that series. Now back to our good old friend Kyrie. I ain't forgot about you, Kyrie. I know you're trying to get us off your back. And when I say us, I'm speaking about the media. And by the way, I don't take what Kyrie tweeted this morning personally in regards to black media members being puppets and trying to talk down and speak down upon black players and his brothers and sisters and all this, yada, yada, yada. I don't feel targeted by Kyrie when he says something like that. In fact, I'm not really here to bash Kyrie either, even though it may seem that way. I'm here to bash all y'all that supported Kyrie but didn't start supporting Kyrie until he decided he didn't want to get vaccinated. A lot of you tend to be on the right. I understand not all of you because I know there's a lot of unvaccinated people that don't fall on the right. Listen, skepticism around this virus, skepticism around a vaccine to each their own with that. I'm not here to tell anybody how to feel about a vaccine or being vaccinated, but I do want to call out the people that didn't support Kyrie when he was giving money to buff to buffer up the salaries of WNBA players. I don't want to talk to, I'm here to actually speak to the folks that didn't support Kyrie when he was out in the streets protesting, that didn't support Kyrie when he bought George Floyd's fam family a house, didn't support Kyrie when he was out doing work and helping out the Native American community, so on, so on and so forth. But oh my gosh, all hell Kyrie when he decided not to get vaccinated. Kyrie want to talk about people being puppets. Y'all tried to use that man like a puppet if never before. I mean, my goodness. But all of a sudden, they start getting that ass tapped in the playoffs, and a lot of y'all got quiet. And I truly feel that if things were the other way around, and they won in the first round, and they won in the second round, and they go to the conference finals and win that, and my goodness, they ended up winning an NBA championship this series. All the anti-vax folk would have been out here in numbers with Kyrie jerseys, putting out memes about the vaccinated, going crazy on his behalf. But nah, man, I'm not letting y'all slide. Y'all got to take this L with him. Y'all have to take this L with them. And again, I'm not talking to all people that are unvaccinated. I'm not talking to all people that support Kyrie because obviously with who Kyrie is, there's a lot of folks out there that supported Kyrie far before he started, far before COVID, far before the pandemic, far before he decided to take a stance against the vaccine. Y'all are fine. Y'all are safe in my book. Again, what he decides to do with his body is A-OK -okay with him. What he eats doesn't make me shit. So I'm not here to debate that. But what I am here to say was Kyrie was getting a whole lot of fake love and fake support from a lot of folks. And again, a lot of those folks tend to fall on the right that fell by the wayside once he stopped having success on the court, obviously after being swept by the Boston Celtics. And I just want to acknowledge that I see y'all. Now, 
Do I think Kyrie's a great leader? No. I don't think the uh, the Nets organization had any leadership at all for that matter. I don't think KD's a great leader. I don't think Steve Nash is a great leader. I think that was a, an organization that was bound for destruction this year based on what it was that they allowed. And the reality of it is the Brooklyn Nets organization's allegiance was to Kyrie this season more so than it was them winning a championship this season. And that got exposed more than ever after they got swept by the Boston Celtics. And that, again, whether you're an anti-vaxxer, whether you agree with his skepticism against getting the vaccine, or whether you got all the boost, all the shots, the boosters, and everything in between, the reality of the situation is this team's allegiance was to Kyrie Irving, and Kyrie Irving did not prioritize basketball this season. Can it change next year? Absolutely. I hope it does. I don't want to see Kyrie be unsuccessful. I'm not one of these people out here that don't want to see him thrive because he didn't want to get the vaccine. That's not who I am. But what I do know and I do understand when you don't prioritize basketball or whatever it is that you're doing and that you want to be the best at, especially when you're playing against the best at it. Oh, that ass whooping is going to come sooner or later, man. I know it from playing a high enough level of college basketball and a high enough level of basketball in general. I know it from covering a high enough level of basketball in general because I've covered the NBA. And I am very aware of the commitment level it takes to be the best in the sport of basketball. Is Kyrie terribly gifted? Absolutely. One of the most gifted players we've ever seen play the game. But you can't not prioritize the game and expect to win a championship at the same time. And I truly believe the Nets expected to win a championship this year, and a whole lot of us expected them to at least get close, but we damn sure didn't expect them to get swept in the first round. That's out. Nobody expected that. Absolute shocker for everybody. But the reality is a lesson is to be learned when you don't prioritize the game and somebody else, i.e., in this case, the Boston Celtics, being that somebody else does prioritize the game and does prioritize winning a championship, the results we got make total sense. The Celtics are moving on to play the Bucks and still have a chance at winning the title. The Nets didn't win a game against the Celtics, and they're done, finished, finito. So, again, Take the L with Kyrie, Kyrie supporters, especially the ones that just became Kyrie supporters during this whole vaccine debacle debacle or anti-vaccine debacle. Take the L with them. Y'all got to live with that. Now let's talk about the rest of the NBA playoffs. First, starting with my Golden State Warriors. Shout out to my brother Gary Payton II, friend of the show. He balled out last night to eliminate the Denver Nuggets. And I'll tell you, the Nuggets, I give them some credit. Obviously, they're a pretty depleted team when you consider the fact that they don't have Michael Porter Jr. and the fact that they don't have that of Jamal Murray. But a tough team indeed. A tough team has one of the best players this world has to offer in Joker. But, you know, I got to give it up to my dubs, man. We got them out of here in five. And by the way, I think we got a clear path to the NBA Finals. Call me biased, but I, I really think we do. I'm watching this Grizzlies series against the Timberwolves. For one, the Grizzlies better get that one over with in six. Tell you that right now. They better get that one over with in six because if they don't, 
we might be seeing the Timberwolves in the second round, and I am not mad at that because we will get the Timberwolves the hell out of here. Obviously, we being the Golden State Warriors. But obviously, I do think the more competitive matchup would be the Memphis Grizzlies, and I do still believe the Grizzlies are going to win this season's season, whether it be in six or seven. But we all know how it is with game sevens. They can go either which way. And again, Steph Curry, I'm loving it for him. Klay Thompson, I'm loving it for him. Draymond Green, I'm loving it for him because a lot of haters, a lot of Dubs haters get after them after Kevin Durant showed up to play in Golden State. But I think that context always needs to be remembered that Kevin Durant showed up to play in Golden State. Regardless of who got recruited or anything of that magnitude, they were good before he got there, and they still good now. They show is better than the Brooklyn Nets, I'll tell you that much. But excited about what we have to look forward to. Um, I think our biggest challenge will ultimately end up being in the conference finals, I still think we're going to have to face the Suns, although the Pelicans have been a really good, fun young team. I'm liking what they're doing. C.J. McCollum, shout out to you, brother. Being able to go out there, make this team a playoff team. You're now in your ninth consecutive postseason, and you have this young team competing well. Obviously, nobody expected y'all to go out and win a championship this year, but I'll tell you, you've built something with this young core, not only obviously with, with your stellar play, C.J. McCollum, but just with the leadership that you're able to offer to this team with all the postseason experience you had. And in fact, this was a lot of what you talked about once you got traded to the Pelicans is that you essentially wanted to help amp up the culture there a little bit. You wanted to be able to kind of lead those young guys who clearly are very talented and they're showing it in the postseason right now, but they just didn't really have no leadership for one because they're just a really young team. So they're kind of learning trial by fire rather than having somebody who can kind of lead them along in regards to how they should be competing in regards to how they should be taking care of themselves to be able to compete at the highest of levels in this particular moment moment and I think CJ McCollum's addition has made huge impact on the New Orleans Pelicans so I want to give a big shout out to CJ McCollum and what he's been able to do with that young Pelicans team, although I still think they're out of here in game six, losing to the Suns. Obviously, Toronto, they got to figure it out. I mean, they're uh, trying to come back and make history and be what I think is the fourth team to send a series to game seven after being down 3-0. I don't think they win it in game six or seven. Um, well, obviously, they can't win it in Game 6, but even if they were to win Game 6 and send the series to Game 7, I still believe that that is the 76ers series to win. The Miami Heat, I got to give it to them. They look good. And I'm kind of known as a Miami Heat hater, but they look solid in the first round against the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, they did play against the Atlanta Hawks, so let's start there. A team that's been very depleted, a team that was an eighth seed. Um, obviously, John Collins tried to come back in the postseason. What in the same John Collins we once got to know? You had the Clint Capella injury in the playing game. I think that had the hugest impact on this series and the Heat being able to kind of gain traction and momentum over that of the Hawks by him not able to play in the first, what I think it was three games that he wasn't able to play in. I think he returned in game four of that series. So I think that once he got hurt in the playing game, I knew that series was a wrap from the jump. 
I still don't think the Heat get out of the second round, though, if they got to play Philadelphia. And obviously, as I just mentioned, I got Philadelphia winning that series over the Toronto Raptors. But um, it's been a fun playoffs thus far, and I'm looking forward to what's to come. Obviously, as I mentioned on the West side, this Jazz and, and Mavericks series is fun. I think the Mavericks are going to end up pulling this series out. Um, but obviously, it's been a fun series indeed. I just think it's good quality playoffs. It's good quality basketball in the postseason. I love seeing the young Bulls thrive. I know that's kind of been a common theme of this first round is seeing a lot of these young guys step up. And I credit a lot of that to just – the evolution of the game from a player development standpoint. Um, obviously, we have, obviously, we have many conversations about all the ways that these guys are sort of able to expedite their careers as basketball players and fully focus and commit themselves to being just basketball players rather than maybe like a student athlete. <laughs> but just seeing sort of the fruition of these young players and how soon they're able to kind of step up in the most pressurized portion of the season, which is the postseason. It's been really fun to watch. It's been really fun to see. And even Kyrie Irving acknowledged it in his uh, post-game interview after they got swept in game four. He acknowledged, like, man, these young dudes are hungry. These young dudes are coming out there balling, and they obviously took it to them. But it's just really cool to be able to see we still got some of the older guys, some of the more staples in the game. We still got Steph out there. Um, you know, we don't have uh, we don't have Kevin Durant out there, but Giannis obviously ain't getting no younger. I think he's still relatively young, but he's obviously been a star in this league for quite some time. Even guys like Jimmy Butler still hanging around, but this playoff feels like it's been a young man's playoffs thus far. Chris Paul obviously still out there with what he's doing with the Phoenix Suns, but I'm just liking the young Bulls and their development, and I feel like it's been great for the evolution of the game. So these playoffs have been really fun, and I'm looking forward to what's to come. And, uh, yeah, man, I think the Dubs, they're the best in the West, <laughs> and I still think the Bucks are the best in the East. But, damn it, I'm so excited for what's to come in that Bucks and Celtics series. Again, not quite as confident with no Middleton, but I still got the Bucks winning that one. So I got D-Boy here for the last segment of the day. Yes, sir. And uh, we're taking it to the culture now. We talked enough about sports. We talked enough about the Brooklyn Nets, but I, I had to give them hell because they deserve it. <laughs> um, <laughs> they deserve it. Sweet. And no excuse for getting Ruined. swept. There's no excuse for that. No. Um, but I want to take it to music, D-Boy. And the reason why I want to take it to music is because I've been watching, I've been listening, I've been paying attention, and... Obviously, music is dropping, and there's a lot more like anticipated albums that are on the horizon, at least from a hip-hop standpoint. You mm -hmm. talk about Future. You talk about mm -hmm. Kendrick. You talk about Jack Harlow. You talk about all these names. But what's even more so impressive to me, and I want you to hear me out on kind of what my theory is here, I'm looking at all of the rollouts for all of these upcoming tours yeah. This might end up being one of the greatest music uh, years in music 
at least in hip hop in particular, it's about to be that we've seen in a really long time. Beyond just the anticipated music releases, but just the anticipation, like it feels like nobody is being held up by the pandemic to either a release music or b go out and perform. Mm-hmm. And for the last few years, obviously, that I feel like has had a huge impact on artists deciding to release music or be go out and perform because it was a little more risky. If you weren't an artist that knew you were going to sell out a venue, you weren't going to take a risk at performing and investing in performing at any venue because you didn't know if people even felt comfortable enough to pop out. For sure. But now I'm seeing Lizzo announce her tour date. She got Lotto as support. I've seen uh, Chris Brown and and Lil Baby got a tour coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Pharrell, I forget the name of it, Pharrell. Mm -hmm. He's got like a festival coming up. But I'm just, it feels like every day there's a new tour announcement being made. And obviously, as we've mentioned here today and prior on this podcast, there's a lot of music to be expected. You yourself have even been in the lab more yeah, cooking up, recording sure. a project that you plan to release next month. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about A, releasing this year amongst all of that traffic? And B, is it more of an exciting thing to see that there's so much traffic in the industry based on? And again, you got to correlate not just the anticipation of the music, but anybody that's announcing tours, that more than likely means they're going to drop music as well, even if they exactly. haven't announced it yet. No, you're 100% correct. And I think it's just really, it speaks volumes to answering what, as a at least from my perspective as an artist, what I was thinking. And Everything is is based on levels and scales, and we realize that we just experienced something for the past two years that never has been experienced at all before. Yeah. A global pandemic has not in our lifetime, at least. For it's sure. never been been done. So it put everybody. It, it made it an even playing field as far as everybody had to make adjustments. Everybody had to restructure what was already in the plans and in the works. And and for a lot of people, it allowed extra development time. When, you, when you're in it, you're in it. And music is very much so about runs and, and momentum and, and getting it in while you hot from tours and all of that. So I think that it allowed a lot of people to kind of sit back, analyze and reanalyze their situations, and now we do have the green light and the go-ahead to pack out venues again and and throw festivals and every... A lot of the unanswered questions are more so answered as far as how we navigate moving forward and where we currently stand. So I wondered if this time was going to come back around and if we would ever see it, because let's get real, after we go from, what, first they said 10 days, then it was two weeks, and then it was two years. It's like some people questioned if this norm would ever come back full circle again. And so I think it's answering that right now. Um, And and to be expected, I I knew we would get back to this, but yeah, I mean, it'd been a lot of time missed. And so a lot of people now are recouping and coming back even better. Like you said, rollouts, artwork, strategy. It's been a lot more time and effort put into this now because it's not so boom, 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 boom. A lot of people had two years to fall back, slow down, spend more time with family, executives, all of that in order to create this wholesome project or this wholesome tour or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be. So I think that's what we're on the front side of seeing right now. Yeah. And and even to, to add on to sort of the theory that I was talking about and obviously what it is that you just said, like, 
I'm one of those people that like I feel like for entertainers or really for creatives at large, like you have some people who can just crank shit out. Like you have some people that are just so naturally gifted when it comes to their creativity that they can like always create something good. But I think the best creations comes from people that get inspired by something and whether good or bad, I feel like this pandemic inspired everybody in one way or another or another Mm -hmm. by force. Mm -hmm. So whether it be music, whether it be something like comedy, like a lot of stand-up comedy is inspired by something. A lot of any, like I said, anything creative essentially is right. inspired by something. And right. it feels like these last two years, whether for better or for worse, have had some kind of like inspiring element to right. artists, especially if you're an artist that stuck with being an artist and didn't try to make a career change and now are, you know, presenting your music once again to the world or performing Mm -hmm. once again to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that now we're seeing, like you said, it all goes back to business. Business savvy and people having real rollouts, real calculated moves and why they're doing what and who they're having on tour with them and all of these different things. I think it's just been extra time spent on that. And then... Um, even furthermore, as an artist, independent artist myself, you st- you almost forget that you're not alone. You're not the only one. Two years felt like a lifetime when it comes to not dropping music, when right. you're used to dropping music as easily as it's able to be released and consumed these days. But as we hear the future rollouts and, and things... Like he haven't put out a lot of music either. And to, a lot of people haven't, like yeah. you said. And so yeah. I think it's going to be... In abundance and almost like a extra, extra kind of like surprise because you kind of forget sometimes all of these art. Like if they're yeah. not the top tier big artists, you'd be like, oh, damn, I haven't heard from this person in a minute either. So you just it start feeling like it's way more music. And I do think that we are bracing ourselves for the biggest music year in a long time. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a huge one. Like I said, obviously, you know, we speak more to hip hop because that's sort of the culture that we come from and that that's the genre that we divulge into most. Right. But like, like I'm listening, I'm listening to the Pusha T albums. I'm listening to Blast who just dropped. And then I'm like, damn, we got Future this week. We got Jack Harlow the week after that. I'm excited we got for Kendrick. Future. We got, yeah, I am too. We got <laughs> Kendrick the week after that. And then, you know, I, Calvin Harris announced Funk Wave Bounces 2 yeah, is coming yep. this summer. And then, like I said, Lizzo's tour gets announced. Uh, uh, Pharrell's festival, it's called Something in the Water. His festival gets announced. Chris Brown and Lil Bay. It's like every day I'm seeing a different announcement that I wasn't seeing this frequently over the past couple right. of years. And lastly, too, I think it drowned out some of the bull. When mm. it comes down to, like you said, some people had to make career changes. Some people got yeah. uninspired. The yeah, same yeah, way yeah, you yeah, get yeah, inspired. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some people you just might not think of right now, but they have made some some changes for better or for worse. You know what I mean? They're Absolutely. going through things. It's just it drowns out a lot of the 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 the, the fake and the fraudulent and the things yeah, that only, just didn't only the stick. strong survive this yeah, one. It's kind of like that. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, this was a lot of time, bruh. So I think this is really the cream of the crop kind of at once. Yeah. Making a mark and, and coming back to what we known as normal before. Absolutely. I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to your project, obviously. We'll talk more about that once the project drops. When you anticipating dropping it? 
20th or 21st. 20th you heard of it here May. first, for 20th sure. 20th to 21st yeah. of May. So I think the 20th is a Friday, so 20th. So that week, we'll get into it a bit, a bit more about kind of your journey through this pandemic. Facts. Um, leading up to, obviously, you being able to create this project. When's the last time you dropped an album? Two years ago, 2020. Yeah. The, so, uh, the finally went pro. So that's a lot to talk about there. Yes, it's a it lot is. to talk about. <laughs> um, before I get out of here, though, I do want to acknowledge Port Portland Street Response and the successes that it is having. I know last month we talked about Portland Street Response reaching its one-year anniversary. Um, but the one-year act the actual one-year annual report came out for Portland Street Response. Um, Portland State Homelessness Action Collaborative, Greg, Greg Townley, shout out to him. They do this report like every six months, and Portland Street Response was able to reach all the goals that it set out in its first year as a program. Um, and already Mayor Ted Wheeler came out and announced that next week he'll propose for a vast expansion of the Portland Street Response budget. It's already expanded citywide, but it's not 24-7 yet. So I'm assuming that with the budget here, with the budget conversations coming up, um, he'll be proposing to make it not only citywide, but also 24-7, which I think is really dope, man. It's been over 100 years since this city has had an alternative first response model. It's something, obviously, that is near and dear to me with the work that I was able to put in the Portland Street Response. In fact, Commissioner Hardesty was kind of giving a rundown uh, on Twitter last week about just sort of the history of Portland Street Response and how it came about. And it was an old picture she posted of her, myself, and Kaya San, our executive director at Street Roots, in like the early days, like mm. prior to the pandemic, mm -hmm. of us basically like creating a plan to put this thing together. So to see it now, some years later, turn into what it's been able to turn into has been really dope. And I think folks just need to continue to follow this, man. It's, I think it's going to be very important and very pivotal to this community. Um, I think it's going to be very important and very pivotal for the trust building in this community because I think regardless of what side you stand on politically, this city, this community has gone through so much that we just don't trust each other. And a lot of the trust is lacking based on what side people are on rather than let's try to focus on building the trust because we all got to share this space here. And mm -hmm. I think Portland Street Response is a pivotal program to allow us to be able to kind of meet in the middle and share this space. Um, folks are getting housed from Portland Street Response. Folks aren't getting arrested as much from Portland Street Response. Is doing so much greater to help people that are in mental health crises to be able to just thrive and have some success and be able to get out of you know, some, some of the toughest real. times that, that they probably have ever yeah. gone through in their lives. And we get to see it visually every day mm -hmm. in our streets. So mm -hmm. um, it's just something that I encourage everybody to continue to follow and support. And I'm just glad to see the momentum that is getting and that it's it's still going and growing. Let's get it. I've seen it too. So that's good stuff. For sure. On that note, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how. And that is to stay woke and go win. Yeah.